I'd like to welcome our first sponsor to the official Do Good Better podcast, and that is DonorDoc. Listen, as a nonprofit, DonorDoc knows that you wear many different hats, and that's why they are here to help you make your life easier. DonorDoc helps you connect with your donors on a deeper level and provides you with the tools to become the ultimate fundraiser. There are other instantly cool features too, but we know connecting and staying connected with your donors are high on most of your priority lists. Hey, guess what? DonorDoc is so awesome, and I'm telling you, so awesome, that to everyone listening, they are giving you a 100% discount off your first month. That's right, 100% off. It's absolutely free to use for your first month. All you have to do is use the referral code DOGOODBETTER, and you're set. Again, do good better. It's simple. It's easy. Head to DonorDoc.com to learn more and get started. Hey, thanks, DonorDoc, for being an official sponsor of the official Do Good Better podcast. You can only grow it so far out of your heart before you recognize, I have gaps. I'm not a CFO, and that's okay. And for some reason, we've taught and told nonprofit executive directors and leaders and social enterprise leaders that they have to be everything. And they have to grow into this when that's not the reality of it. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. And of course, this show is all for small, medium-sized nonprofits doing wonderfully great big things. And if you're a small or medium-sized nonprofit and you think you can't do great big things like social enterprise and making money and having to be a pauper of an organization, I have news for you. You don't have to. And that's why I have a guest on today who is going to walk us through the idea of what social enterprise is. We're going to talk about scaling up your nonprofit and your nonprofit business. Man, this is going to be super exciting today here on the official Do Good Better podcast. So I've got my friend uh, Ryan Mahaffey. He's the CEO and founder of Feast Over Famine, and he has an organization and a story that I think you'll all enjoy. Ryan, thanks for being on the official Do Good Better podcast. Yeah, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Super excited to talk and, and dive into social enterprise and share the work we're doing. I think I'm uh, going to be very excited about people clicking through. They're going to see YouTube. They're going to see all these Apple uh, things, and they're going to say, Feast over famine, this sounds intriguing, but they have no idea who you are or what you do. So at a 5,000-foot level, let's get the backstory on how you became uh, an entity and uh, go from there. Yeah, right on. So we've been around for uh, since about 2016. Uh, we kind of accidentally stumbled into consulting, a uh, social enterprise client. But um, our story really begins uh, back in college for me. Um, I went to Marquette, a uh, good Midwest Jesuit institution, and really just this idea of social justice blending with a business degree started to come together for me. I took a trip to India and we were doing basically social enterprise, um, business as mission style consulting. And I fell in love with it. And I thought, man, I want to do this every day the rest of my life. And I need to go support myself and pay my rent and get through my career and all this stuff. And uh, so kind of went that path and said, you know, we're going to put that off in the future. And over the next, you know, five, 10 years, that just started to stir in me and stir in me. Um, And in 2015, left my corporate career, went to Eastern Europe, did some consulting on projects there, came back, worked for 
social enterprise where we started our consulting company kind of as a one-off. And then in March of 2018, decided to do this kind of big blown up version. We're working with tons of organizations and that led us to this past March a couple months ago and we rebranded to Feast Over Famine and um, we're really diving into it. And I know we're going to talk about a bunch more of that, but that's your you know, 50,000 foot view of a little bit of the story of, of where we've come from. I like, I love the, uh, the name because I think a lot of nonprofits, um, see themselves as upstarts that they listen, we're just going to get by. It's going to be fine. If we don't have a lot of, uh, revenue coming in, that's fine. We'll just do good. And I think this idea of abundance is going is needs to be latched onto, um, because there are so much revenue and money available. There's so many investors, there's so many donors, you have to wrap your head around the idea of social enterprise in yeah. order to just start. So walk me through some of maybe the nonprofit work that you have done and how you change mindset first. Because is, is that the first thing you need to, to tweak out of the gate? Yeah. You know, it's kind of dependent for us. And I want to I kind of circle back to one thing you said, like uh, from the beginning, we've said there's a finite pool of money out there, mm-hmm. right? So when we look at uh, donor, individual donors and, uh, corporate donors and foundations and grants and government money and all these different things out there. Like we just, there's a finite pool of money, right? If if, in, in Colorado where we're based, I mean, there's like 15 new nonprofits opening every single day, it seems. And they're all fighting for the same pool. And eventually there's something's going to break about that. Now I think there's work to be done. I think you're doing a great job of it, of inspiring people's level of generosity. But at certain point we need to look outside of this, this pool that we've been living in. Right. And if we can blend economics, all the money that's out there, goods, services, the markets, like globally, there's a ton of money being spent. And if we can blend that with this giving model, now we've opened up potential to use a ton more money. And, you know, one of the kind of, you had your question about nonprofits and mindset a little bit, what we change. And the first thing I want to say is just because social enterprise is awesome doesn't mean it's right for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's just the first thing I want to say. There's some organizations that kind of think, Hey, nonprofit, you know, we need to go social enterprise and it, it just doesn't work. So really our goal isn't as an organization to say, let's get rid of nonprofits and fundraising. Let's just find the opportunities where we can use social enterprise, free up that money. And now it can go to another organization. Now it's just a global society. We're serving way more people than we ever dreamed of because we just took $10 billion and put it towards instead of 10 organizations splitting it, now only five are because the other five are self-sustaining. So mm-hmm. I think um, just kind of off of what you said there and a little bit of the mindset shift, we're, we're really looking to make that happen. It's not an either or, it's a battle between the two or one's better. It's more, this is a piece of the puzzle to help serve people more. I, I think a lot of that, um, it, and that's the outside of the box thinking that I think a lot of organizations need to address. And I think now mm-hmm. during sort of this global pandemic, you get an opportunity to kind of look inward and say, are we doing really the most amount of good or are we raising the most amount of money that we can, or can yeah. we, are we, are we funding this to the fullest of best of our abilities? And if you're not taking the time to look at this while you're kind of, there's a pause or a downturn in activity, I think you're missing out. And I think this is really what um, sparked my interest in a conversation with you today is because thinking differently and outside of the box. And again, mm-hmm. there's a million terms you can use for that. Yeah, Thinking outside of the box is really critical now because you need to be different in order to secure somebody thinking, well, wow, that's an interesting thing I never thought mm-hmm. about. Or, I didn't know this organization exists or you, I didn't know you were doing the things you were doing. What a cool, unique way yeah. on how to build revenue 
for those that you serve, which is the ultimate goal of fundraising in the first place. And if you only have that as your only model, if you're only doing grants, if you're only doing special events, you're in a box that you cannot escape from. Yep. is detrimental to your mission of serving those who you have dedicated your life to. Right. Yeah, totally. No. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's even a blend for a lot of organizations where it says, Hey, look, your earned income is going to be 60% of social enterprise, you know, earned income revenue. And let's keep the other 40% as normal nonprofit income, you know, or maybe it's a 90% as your normal donor base and 10% is this, but it's something, you know, and it can grow. You know, we have a client that we've worked with that, you know, they have an idea to sell these career journals. They do um, after school programming for girls to help them get involved in STEM careers. You know, now you can't really turn that into, they've tried models, right? Where they charge the kids, but then you get into weird stuff where you get into lower income communities and now the kids can't pay for the after school programming. So do you convince, you know, the wealthier parts of town to pay more money so that the younger, now you're getting, you're, you're almost asking your constituents and clients to pay and it gets really weird in social enterprise, right? So for them, it doesn't make totally sense to make that into a full social enterprise model, but they're helping girls with STEM careers. So why not create a career journal that walks them through that and sell that as a product? Now it's not going to be, you know, 50% of their 200 something thousand dollar a year budget, but it's something. And it's spurring onto that, you know, they can do a podcast like what we're doing and they could yeah. do commercials with uh, for-profit engineering companies that want to pay to be on there and get in front of girls to change the, the gender gap instead. So, you know, sometimes I just, I think we get into this, like, it's got to be all or nothing and it's got to yep. be perfect. And I want to share that example to say, start small if you can. Now, if you can start big, start big too. We're working on yeah. a farm project in Africa where we're buying 1500 acres of farmland to employ a hundred people and subsidize a million meals and that's a big splash, right? Yeah. But you can do the little splash too and it's okay. And it makes sense. Um, t- talk to me about what social enterprise is. I think there might be uh, folks who are listening or watching who say, okay, I kind of understand what you're talking about. It might be a product involved. It might be a sales of something. If you were, if you were completely ignorant to what social enterprise is, walk me through the basics of the basics on kind of how to wrap your head around that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our, our mission statement is to help servant hearted organizations to scale effectively. That's our consulting side of what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but to navigate the tension where mission and profit collide. There you okay. Go. So I think the baseline somewhat of a definition of social enterprises, mission and profit collide and it creates tension. It's not normal. Mm-hmm. It's not what we're used to. Um, as a definition, I mean, what we say is you're, you're bringing the best parts of the for-profit world and the best parts of the nonprofit world together and you're trying to serve more people as a result. Um, we have a graphic on our website. I, I got it pulled up over here. Um, on the left side, we have, you think of it like your general Venn diagram almost in the middle is social enterprise. On the left side, you've got nonprofits and they bring to the table impact acumen, what mm-hmm. we call it. You know, They have an understanding of how to make an impact in people's lives. You know, They're not gonna, it's the whole when helping hurts model. Like They just kind of get that, You know, your nonprofit executive directors purpose and mission drives them. It's not the bottom line every day. It's purpose and mission. Um, they have a local needs knowledge. Most nonprofits that are really successful, it's not a bunch of white dudes around a table in North Dakota deciding what someone needs in Africa. It's someone in Africa that says, wow, this is what's happening on the ground and what's needed. So impact acumen, purpose and mission, local needs knowledge. That's what the nonprofit side brings. On the for-profit side, you have business acumen. I mean, we've seen a lot of nonprofits that have really struggled to manage teams and manage culture and grow. Now you have a lot of nonprofits that have done a great job of that, but I think oftentimes 
people, their heart stumbles them into a place of leading this 10, 15, 30 person organization doing really, really good work and their hearts there. And they just kind of get a little out of their wheelhouse on how to manage a large team because they've never done it. And that makes sense. So the for-profit side is the business acumen. Um, They have the fiscal self-sustainability is what we call it. You're not going to get by as a for-profit company without being fiscally self-sustainable. A nonprofit kind of can. I mean, you've got to make your books balance every year. You've got to bring in more than you spend in different things. But a lot of the donors don't necessarily care that all the nuts and bolts financially are there to say, you guys are crushing it. You're self-sustaining long-term on a 10-year sheet. And then the last piece on the for-profit side is the strategic scaling knowledge. And that kind of goes to business acumen, but it's thinking, man, 10, 15, 20 years, five years, one year, three, or whatever that is, how do we scale this thing and scale it well? So when we look at those two sides and we say, man, social enterprise would be where those, all those things collide in a really healthy way and, and people are served extremely well as a result of it. More money, more mission. That's yeah. it. I mean, it comes down to if you totally. can raise more, make more, you can serve more. And that's really what yeah. the point of this conversation is. So you mentioned at the end of this was scale. Walk wow. me through a, a small, medium-sized nonprofit that's ready to scale. What are some of the indicators that you're seeing that, uh, that you, you know, part of that business acumen, how do you go from a one person to a four person to a 10 person staff? That's yeah. a, that takes a lot of business knowledge. Um, but when does the scale need to happen or when yeah. do you recognize as a nonprofit you need to scale up? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think we, we constantly have to be challenging ourselves to iterate and think progressively. So you should always be thinking about scale in some way. You know, you should always be thinking, man, that's a cool idea. Now we separate leaders into kind of two categories. One is the visionary and one is the execution one. Mm-hmm. We've probably seen this a million times. The visionary leader is the one who has a hundred ideas. They're chasing the new thing all the time. They're always out doing coffees and like, Hey, we're going to go do this thing. We're going to collaborate on this. It's going to be awesome. Yep. And maybe 1% of those things happen and you almost lose the, the operational maturity efficiency of the organization gets lost. Um, but it's really good because those are the organizations like, you know, a Steve Jobs is someone who is that visionary and has the ability to efficiently make it happen in the organization. Um, but a lot of times the visionary is off doing that thing. Um, the executionary side is a leader that's, you know, they are buttoned up project management, the organization runs smoothly, but they're, they're lacking that ability to say, man, what could we be? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think first in scale is saying, understanding as a leader, like, where do you sit there? And how do you fill that gap in in terms of like what's going to happen? If you have a hundred ideas because you're visionary, it's a matter of putting pen to paper and saying which ones work and implementing them. And you probably need to surround yourself with someone who can do that. If you're the executionary side, it's surrounding yourself with the dreamers and challenging yourself out of your comfort zone to go do that. And when we, like as an organization come in, we're trying to identify and kind of play the role of the opposite. Um, so, so I think that's, that's one step. And then the other step in understanding that oftentimes is, um, you know, how are you, a lot of nonprofit leaders come out of a heart standpoint, you know, a lot of these small, medium size, they see a need, their heart breaks and like, I need to do something about this. You know, um, you see the same thing in the, in the trades, you end up with a guy who starts a, a roofing company or a contracting company or handyman, right? They get three, five years down the line, they find themselves running a three, $400,000 landscaping company. I don't know how to do this. All I know how to do is landscaping and that's okay. Like you and I aren't going to go, well, you just, you're like lawn of the week in your neighborhood. I know, but like overall you and I aren't going to go run a, a massive landscaping company, but we can, 
you can surround yourself with the right people to come alongside you and help you. Um, And I think in the nonprofit space, you can only grow it so far out of your heart before you recognize I have gaps. I'm not a CFO and that's okay. And for some reason we've taught and told nonprofit executive directors and leaders and social enterprise leaders that they have to be everything and they have to grow into this when that's not the reality of it. Um, So I think those are just, as you start thinking about scaling, if you're, if you're, if anything I said, there is something you're identifying with. Okay. Yeah. You're hitting the points. Think about scaling, you know, but also just always think about it. You know, think about growing and doing that. Yeah, I, I think when when we suggest to nonprofits, they think more business like. I think they immediately go to obscene profits, um, smoke filled rooms. Um, I don't care about the little guy anymore. I forget where I came from. Yeah. That kind of thing. And I I think we jump to that logical conclusion because yeah. we're inundated with now what big crisis or big you know jerk yep. did something to his corporation. Yep. You're not going to get that corporation to be. You're not. I mean, God bless yeah. you for dreaming that. But your two-person operation ain't going to be a multi-bazillion-dollar international corporation in the next five years. That's not yeah. how it works. And I think to to wrap our brains around it, what you're suggesting is to act more like businessy is to take all of the strengths that you have and figure out where they go to implement a lot of processes. And that yeah. process itself is going to be business-like. And yep. that's going to put you in a better position to execute your programming better because now you aren't wasting time trying to do X, Y, and Z. You're actually in the field doing the things the government can't, shouldn't, and won't do. Yeah, That's where your mission is and that's totally. where your heart is. Yeah. yeah. And a big piece of scaling too is, is taking care of leadership. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many organizations have scaled well or so many boards have come in and you know, you end up with 10 people on your board, you're 200, 300K as a nonprofit, you're yep. starting to grow and you start to destroy the leader and their motivation and all those things. And so you've got to think about, I mean, think as a leader, what drives me here? Don't build your role three, five years from now to be one where you don't get to go out weekly and be face to face with the people that made you want to do this in the first place. You know, yep. so so much of scale is like, oh, money, strategy, this, there's this coaching side that's like, no, there's a very personal side of growing as a leader and doing that. And we throw that out of the scaling conversation way too easily a lot of the time. And um, we've all seen countless stories of leaders that have gone off the deep end and in, uh, in not having that protection. Um, well, and, and I think part of this too, and we acknowledge in the nonprofit world, we got one of the toughest jobs and the most, and the loneliest job. There is nobody who's more lonely than a fundraiser who can't talk to another fundraiser because they have to let, they can't let on that they're frustrated or yeah. just heartbroken or just tired or freaking exhausted yeah. from that constant grind. And that business model, that scalability is part of acknowledging that you need somebody to chat with who's a, uh, who's a peer and who's a mentor. Yeah. And that yeah. sort of, that sort of needs to happen on a fairly regular basis that, that leads to social enterprise, like finding, all right, here's your scale. You find an opportunity and now maybe social enterprise is something that you could consider at an organization. What are some of the examples? You gave a couple one with the journal and, and yeah. a of things you were doing. Let's just say you're a small, medium-sized nonprofit. You're working in human services. You have um, a lot of knowledge, let's just say, in training. Walk me through what this might look like in a social enterprise outfit where you've got a, you, carnal knowledge everywhere. 
you're really good at training people to do the things you want to do. How do we combine this to be socially entrepreneur minded? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I th- so I think there's a couple questions asked. The first one, um, we do this really cool strategy exercise sometimes where we, we try to look at a matrix of all these things. And on, on one side of it, it's what is the business potential? Mm-hmm. And on the other side of it is what is the social good preservation almost and potential? Because you don't want to be so focused. You, have, you know, we'll take an example. Um, organization here in Denver does light scale manufacturing work. And I, I'm kind of going off of your human services question, but yep. I'm circling back to it here. Yeah. Um, you're, uh, they do light scale manufacturing to give job skills training to people coming out of incarceration, homelessness, addiction, right? They could make a wood table in their wood shop. They have a wood shop, a sew shop and manufacturing that they sell for $2,500, but their participants only touch maybe 2% of the work because it's a high end table. Now, is that a good model? I mean, it's great money, great profit, but you're, you're not really doing this like social good preservation of what your work is. Now, maybe you can make a mid-tier table that they can do 50% of the work on. That's better, you know? Uh, the flip side of that is to say, well, we want our guys to make, you know, our girls to make only, they want, we want them to do hundred percent of the table and we're only able to sell it for $10. Well, that's not going to be profitable. Yeah. So you really have to, when you're thinking about this, no matter what the scenario is, you have to think about, is there a market potential and how does that relate to serving the people we're trying to serve well and giving them the experience they want? Um, so in your, in your yeah, human services training, work, it's what does the market need? I mean, is, is the training that they do something that other nonprofits might pay for? Is it a training model that, you know, government funding for prisons would totally latch onto that training to try to bridge the gaps of the recidivism rates are lower, you know? So start thinking about market potential out there. We've seen the, um, the jewelry model overseas happened a million times of a social enterprise. You go in, these women make beautiful jewelry. We're going to set up a jewelry shop and then we're going to sell it online. And what you found is a flooded market of this kind of stuff and different websites that even try to bring it all together. But a lot of international experts in the business's mission, social enterprise space have said, that's not an amazing model. Now, you go into Kazakhstan or Tajikistan and you do yak hunting with locals and sell yak wool in a really unique way. Now that's a product that people all over the world are going to do because it's very unique to that region and there's a market potential for it. Um, so you just, you have to be creative and think about what that looks like. And that starts with just a big brainstorming session, you know, bring in the people around you, bring in your board, bring in all those people and just start throwing ideas up there and see which of the 20 stick um, and which one makes the most sense, but don't jeopardize your social good side. It's got to go through all those filters. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the two things that, that stood out to me were when you were just talking is be creative. I, I think a lot yeah. of nonprofits get scared with the idea of being creative because they think it's going to have mission creep or they're, they're going to go down a line that says, well, we're, we're a very serious organization. If we get creative, it's going to be fun and fun doesn't sound like we're yeah. going to, Whoa, that's not it it's thinking differently about what you can bring to the table and it's thinking differently about how you can build revenue so that you can serve more people. That's really where the creative comes. The other one too is that you mentioned that it it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I think a lot of nonprofits go all in one way or another. We have to be 100% efficient in our, in our uh, thing or we're going to be bold and audacious and nary the two shall meet. I think that's the interesting part about the concept that you're talking about is, is, forcing nonprofits to have a conversation with themselves to say, what's my balance point? 
about giving an opportunity to raise a crap load of money so that we can do a boatload of good without compromising our amazing mission and vision values and whatever our true north is. And that's where I think this social enterprise thing is so fascinating is that it is a part of, it ties back to originally what we talked about originally, which is this is a part of your larger story. It doesn't have to be the be all end all, but it can be supplemental. It's the same way that you would throw a new event. It would be the same thing on doing another appeal that is supplemental to your revenue or your fundraising yeah. coming in. I think if we think about it that way, all our nonprofit brains totally. now and go, Oh, this makes total sense now. Yeah. If you find a, if you brainstorm and you come up with a social enterprise business model yeah. and it works perfectly, start a for-profit company for it. I mean, the whole point of the nonprofit versus for-profit is the tax deductible part to, inspi- to kind of inspire people or convince people that it's sure. worth it to donate in a sense. I'm, I'm belittling that a lot and how I'm saying that, but that's the core difference between a 501c3 and a for-profit. Now, yes. if you do a for-profit coffee shop for at-risk youth, and that requires you to, you know, you'd probably make 15% profit margin in a normal coffee shop, say, and now you're negative 10% because you have to hire an extra staff member to coach them. Right. Now you're leaning to where you probably need to fundraise for that little bit. So become a nonprofit, you know, or a B Corp or however you want to do that. We don't have to get into all that right now, but, but that's the difference. Now, if you have a kitchen and bathroom remodeling company right now and you've making $2 million a year and you're profitable and you can just hire two or three extra guys that are trying to get off of addiction or incarceration or, or women who are doing that, um, whatever that is, or women coming out of human trafficking, wanting to give them hope in that, just keep your for-profit business and you know, if your profit margin is 35%, drop it to 27 and hire a couple team members extra to coach them and get them back. Like That's the beauty of this, like you're saying. There's no right, wrong way to do that. So, you know, we, one of our pillars as an organization's Feast Over Famine is we don't live in black and white. We consider tension navigating is what we try to do. It's not black and white. It's super gray, you know, and the sooner we can realize that life is gray, leadership is gray and serving people globally is is really gray, the easier this stuff becomes because we say, yeah, it's not going to be this perfect split. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, and bring the people alongside you in that process to help you navigate that tension so you're not in it alone. I think I like the uh, the idea of a business, a for-profit business doing good. And they are allowed to do that under yeah. this social enterprise totally. sort of concept as well. You don't have to be the all-encompassing money-making machine, you can still reach out and give back and, and, and be that leader within the whole, quote, nonprofit realm by giving chances, by yeah. doing exceeding background checks or not eliminating whatever you want from a formerly incarcerated individual, right. right? So you can do a lot of this good as a business yeah. and still claim to be socially uh, social enterprise. And I think that is another route that says... Why wouldn't you make more money mentoring others who then use you as a reference to go and form a business that you then merge with or you, they, they drum yeah. your business because they're better salespeople. I, yeah. We've got a, a gentleman here in North Dakota who's been saying drug dealers are the best salespeople in the entire world. Yeah, that might be a fact, right? They're <laughs> yeah. the best hustlers in the world. Why wouldn't you get to hire them to make business better for you because yeah, they're totally. part of persuasion? I think that type of social entrepreneurship and that social enterprise mindset can be both a for-profit and a non-profit realm too. Yeah. Yeah. I I think a theme here is let's, we're blending these two worlds. Like 
we've looked at nonprofit as the good people and for-profit as the horrible, evil people. And it's time to be done with that. It's time to recognize both have value. Let's bring them together. And that's why we struggled with our mission statement for a while when we were rebranding to say like, who do we serve? Because 60% of our clients had been nonprofit and 40% had been for-profit and a lot had been social enterprise. And that's where we came up with the servant-hearted organizations. Think of, start thinking of people and humans when you meet them and potential clients or whatever that is as servant-hearted individuals or organizations. That's the qualifier for this stuff. They can run a they can run JCPenney for all I care and be servant-hearted and have a mission there, or they can run United Way. Both are servant-hearted. Like, let's qualify those people. And then if someone's not servant-hearted and they're just in it for themselves, then we can push that to the side. That There are nonprofits that are that way. You and I both know that. And there are for-profits that are definitely that yeah. way. So um, that's a good qualifier that's helped us as we navigate that. And I think if you're if you're self-aware and you're looking at your organization as an individual uh, or a, an individual leader of an organization and you, yeah, that is me. I put people first all the time. I put uh, this, you're, you are in a perfect position to sort of try something like this because your, again, your mission is to make as much or raise as much money as possible to serve those who got, who get you out of bed every morning. You know, right. so going to do, do a lot for good here. The only thing holding me back is cash. Yeah. Then go make it and do and do awesome things, which is totally. really what I think this mindset shift uh, has been. So, Ryan, uh, coming up against the end of the podcast, but I want to make yeah. sure that people have an opportunity to get a hold of you, reach out, pick your brain, uh, set up a time just to kind of, hey, I've got a couple of ideas. I've got this thing. Uh, I have a nonprofit. I have a yeah. social enterprise idea. I've got a for-profit business that I think could have a social enterprise angle that could help a nonprofit, anybody yeah. of those things, how do they get a hold of you? How do they uh, reach out and begin a conversation with you over at Feast Over Famine? Yeah. Well, first I just say, let's talk. You know, we are, as an organization, we're in this to help make this thing blow up, you know? Mm-hmm. So whether that's, uh, you want to hop on for 30 minutes and there's some help and some ideas and we can spark that and you run with it. That's amazing. We want to do that. And whether we can help on a bigger level, that's great too. Um, so I just want to say that, like, however we can serve organizations, that's awesome. We have a podcast on our own. So I just say, go to feastoverfamine.org, www.feastoverfamine.org. Um, you can see all of our info on there. You can see some infographics on some of the stuff that we've talked about here. And then there's a contact form on there. Uh, my email is ryan at feastoverfamine.org. You're going to find that on the website. So I'll just share it here. Um, fill out the contact form, shoot me an email, whatever you guys, uh, whatever is easier to get in touch. But yeah, we just want to, I mean, we want to see like thousands of social enterprises flourishing um, as soon as possible. And we're in it for the long haul. And we didn't talk about the impact investment piece much. Maybe we can do that on a future episode sometime. But um, as people get into that too, uh, we're happy to coach and talk and, and dive in with everybody. It's uh, it's it's really great stuff. Yeah, I would encourage you to go and check them out. And of course, in the links of the show and in the show notes, all these links and and, uh, and numbers and emails will be available. So go click on that right now. Especially if you have a bright idea that you think I could use a little help on this, but I don't really know where to go with it. Um, or you're a nonprofit who has kind of seen the writing on the wall and needs a little uh, boost or a little help or a little perspective on how to take that that big hairy audacious goal and put it into action, regardless yeah. of if it's going to be social enterprise or helping with scale or something like that. Ryan, thank you so much for being a guest on the official Do Good Better podcast. This was a real joy to talk about. It's something totally different. It's going to catch a lot of our listeners off guard in the best possible way to think differently about how they raise more money for their mission 
Uh, and thanks for being a guest here on the official Do Good Better podcast. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. I've enjoyed it a lot and I love what you guys are doing. So Love it. We'll talk to soon. Here. Definitely. <laughs> See ya. Hey, when you Google your hometown, what's the impression you get? Does it look like a vibrant, active community that would welcome your new business idea or welcome your family? Small Town Labs to the rescue! Hey, active fun social media posts, upgrading your city website, improving your town's online curb appeal, even providing competitive analysis versus other small towns in your area. Small Town Labs will create everything that you need to sell your hometown to new businesses and to new homeowners. Heck, they even manage those leads for you. So email them today at buildsmalltowns at gmail.com. Again, buildsmalltowns at gmail.com. Hey, thank you, Small Town Labs, for being an official sponsor of the official Do Good Better podcast. There are countless videos, books, articles, and folks out there with suggestions on how to raise more money. Of course, that's a major problem. Too much information. Do Good University has an online library of lectures, courses, and trainings that concentrate on one thing, making fundraising simple. Come join other like-minded do-gooders who are looking to unclutter their fundraising life. Enroll at Do Good University today at dogoodbetterconsulting.com.